going to read our scripture for you tonight. Our scripture is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, and reading will be Michaela Werner and Esther Gose. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know the where, where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Good evening, church. My name is uh, Pastor Scott. I'm the pastor of Bethany North up in Shoreline, and it's an honor to be with you this evening. I don't often get down this way, uh, but uh, super privileged to be with you. Uh, as you heard from Eric, this is the last regular 7 p.m. service until Easter, and then this becomes the 6. So I say we go out with a bang tonight. I'm super excited about being with you and opening God's word with you and uh, that the truth of scripture would light us up the way, the truth, life. We need this good news in our hearts tonight. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your scriptures and the fact that you're still speaking to us. Brother, open us up now to be uh, formed into men and women uh, on the path, on the way that you've provided Lord, we thank you for those that are here this evening, uh, that are here in places of great joy. And Lord, we stand with those that are here this evening or listening online in places of great mourning. We're also mindful, Lord, that it, around the world this evening, that, that Christians, uh, your people, are suffering. And we stand with uh, brothers and sisters taken too soon in Egypt this morning. Heaven help us. And Lord, be the Lord of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. The message uh, is titled today, The Way, the Truth, the Light. We're looking at John 14, verses 1, all the way to 14. I hope you brought your Bibles. Um, the, the reality with uh, what Jesus is doing here in John 14 is he's confronting the disciples with the truth of his presence. And it's always the way that, that Jesus uh, longs to speak and act, to confront us. And I was thinking of confronting stories, and there's this great story, one of, one of the, my favorite stories in narrative nonfiction, the story of Louis Zamperini, uh, the story of Unbroken. And if you've, you've seen the movie, I'm sorry, but the book is wonderful, because Zamperini, this is a true life story. Uh, he was flying in World War II, and his plane went down over the Pacific, and then he and a couple others survived for weeks in a life raft, longer than any human ever had. And they floated west uh, to dangerous Japanese uh, uh, held territories instead of east, and then he was captured, and he survived as a prisoner of war under gruesome situations. He was a survivor. He knew life. Zamperini, uh, he, you know, he survived, and he came back to the States, and he found all this freedom and all this fame, but he didn't have real life. He was addicted to alcohol. He was addicted to the praise of men, and he was a broken down man in, in in risk of losing his whole marriage and his life. And out of desperation, his wife invited him to come and hear a Southern preacher by the name of William Billy Graham to come uh, hear them speak uh, about Jesus. 
And so Zamperini, there after the Second World War in Los Angeles, goes to this big tent to hear Billy Graham preach, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the light. And Zamperini was a fighter and a survivor. And he said, to heck with it. As others were streaming down to the altar, Zamperini headed out. He said, no way, not for me. But he continued to be open. And all that next day, the Spirit was working on him and working on him and working on him. And he decided to go back and hear this crazy evangelist one more evening, back to this big tent called the Campus Crusade. And there when he heard the scriptures preached again, Zamperini, who had survived by his own power but knew it wasn't real life, that evening, the second evening, he gave his heart to Jesus. And Zamperini said this about the experience. He says, of all my near-death experiences, my life never passed before my eyes. Keep in mind, this man survived a plane crash and abuse in a prison camp and weeks and weeks in a raft. But he said, my, my life never passed before my eyes. But when Billy Graham quoted scripture, my life did pass before my eyes. My life passed before my eyes and I saw an ugly life. Yes, I had a lot of great times and a lot of great experiences and a lot of escapes from death, but I still didn't like my life after the war. It was terrible. And so he turned his heart to Jesus and got a new life, confronted by the truth of the scriptures, the way and the truth and the life. And Zamperini became this evangelist telling everyone he knew, hey, you got to hear about this Jesus guy. Because when your heart is changed, you want everybody to know the good news. And as we take a turn to the scriptures in John 14, we've been working our way through these I am statements in this I am enough series, and we're almost there. Next week is the, the culminating sermon, but we're not there yet. But tonight, uh, Jesus is going to speak to us out of John 14 to say, I am the way and the truth in their life. And it starts with this odd verse in, in verse 1 of John 14, if you have your Bibles, where Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And some context there, if you haven't been you know, in the scriptures as you're hearing it this morning, when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, what, what's going on in the room? They're in the upper room. It's the last gathering before Jesus would give his life up for us. Judas has already left in a panic. Peter has already been told that he would betray Christ. And in the midst of all that, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, but you need to believe in me. Because though you long for a plan for your life, Jesus says, I am the path that you will take. I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And there is a, a recognition that when we receive this, our hearts need to be a little bit less trouble. Now the disciples are asking for a map and Jesus preaches his presence. They want a clarity of direction and Jesus gives them a certainty of character. You want a way, says Jesus, I am the way. You, you want, you want the, the truth? I am the truth. You want the lie? I am the life. I've washed you, says Jesus, and I've called you clean. And now I want you to believe that anything you need, I am enough. And though it's easy to look back and say it would be easier there in the very presence of Christ, we have these questions in the text from Peter and from Philip and from Thomas to let us know that for the life of faith, it's never easy to trust what we can't see. It's never easy. It hasn't been easy for 2,000 years. And so literally this evening, as warships are moving into place outside Korea and moving into place outside Syria and Christians are dying in churches, in the midst of that, Jesus has the audacity through the scriptures tonight to, says, to say, rather, do not let your heart be troubled. It's audacious. 
But the life of the Christian is to be moving into the place where Jesus is the way and the truth and life is moving us to be people untroubled. Because at the end of the day, the way and the truth in life is an idea or a religion or a precept or a set of well-ordered theological ideas. Truth is a person by the name of Jesus. And it's meant to confront our inclination to try to do life by our own power. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands tonight, but my hunch is I'm probably not alone. Like I want to do life by my own power. Get up a little bit earlier, read the scriptures a little bit more, do a little bit more confession, work my way through life. Jesus says, it's not about you, it's about me. I am enough if you'll follow me. So let's begin at this very simple three-point outline. We're going to look at these three claims from Christ. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And this understanding that if we believe it and we receive it, we are meant to be moving into this untroubledness of heart that feels so difficult for so, so many of us. First point of our outline, I am the way. Look at verses one through four, what Jesus is teaching, John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We can pause there if you have your Bible open because there is a delineation to the very people that have followed Christ for three years that they believe in God and yet they run the risk of missing Christ. And he's saying, if you, if you really believe in me, do not let your heart be troubled. Verse two, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I were going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me. You may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, I am the way. In the Old Testament, in the Torah, the Torah, the scriptures, the first five books of the Bible was known as the way and the truth and the life. And Psalm 119 says, blessed are you when the way is perfect. The early church, in fact, called itself the way. And so when Jesus was talking about himself in the way, the magnitude for these men gathered in the upper room, they would get it. They would get how serious Jesus is saying, I'm not just one of the parts of the way, I am the way. I am the way. And, Jesus, and Peter says here at the end of chapter 13, Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Peter's so earnest, and it's easy to criticize him because of his upcoming denial of Christ, but he's so passionate. And he's like begging Christ, if you will just give me, if you will just give me the plan, I'll do whatever you ask. If you can just lay out what will happen when you're gone, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. But the life of faith is not one of well-ordered plans. No, it's a path. And the difference between a path and a plan is the person of Christ. And we need to hear that really carefully because we do a great disservice when we raise up young people in faith and tell them everything will turn out okay. I want, I, want a, I want a plan for my life and we just believe it can be well ordered and if we do this, then this will happen and we won't hurt and we'll get the job, we'll have the relationships, we'll graduate from school and it's like, I love it. But Jesus doesn't give us the plan. No, he gives us a path and it's called himself. He says, I am the path you'll take. And it's always been that way with God's people. If you look at the scriptures, we're not called to well-ordered plans. Abraham was told, go to the land. Which land? The land which I'll show you. Man, pack up your stuff and just start walking and explain that, explain that to your roommate. Where are you going? I don't know yet. 
I mean, that's Abraham saying, how about Moses? I mean, 40 years wasting away in the wilderness. He killed a man. He, he was sure that God had passed him by. And then what does the plan look like for him? It's a lit bush. Jesus speaking through God, through the bush, saying, I, I am. Or Paul, who always had these plans about reaching different places with his missionary journeys, and, and it never turned out the way he'd hoped. No, the promise is never the plan. It's a path. And continuing to move into this belief that the path we take each and every day can be more about Jesus and less about ourselves. And I get it that that's a really churchy, religious thing to say, but we have an opportunity this day, Jesus, give me the path. And I pray and I, I, I discern this, this way, Jesus, in this relationship, in this job, in the future. Do I stay? Do I go? I want to be on your path. Continuing to pray that he would lead us. Now, it's interesting here on this dwelling peace thing in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 14, Jesus promised, my father's house has many rooms. It's many rooms. And it's like he's getting at our inclination to worry about the future. And he knows that we want, we want a plan. How is it going to turn out? How will we get there? What will it be like? I've got a four-year-old. And so the other day we were driving around and he said, Papa, how does God sit on clouds? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, buddy, he's, he's not really, well, you said he's up there. You know, we're trying to have this theological discussion because even at our youngest age, our minds has questions. How will it actually be? What exactly is this life of faith look like? And Jesus is naming the fact that we will constantly worry about the future. And he's saying here, there's many rooms. I've got this. Like, will you trust me? I've got this. There's not one room that you'll need to fight over. There's many rooms. So we're meant to have a heart of the Christian life that's radically inclusive and radically invitational. Because when you know that you know something, you want your best friends to join in the party. Jesus says there's many rooms, and this is both an eschatological promise about the end of our lives, but it's also this very present day remembrance that, that, that the future is going to be okay that the path that I take today is more about Christ and less of myself, and, and he's got this. I'm worried about that next step, the next job, the next city, the next relationship. We're all like that. You're not alone in that. You're not alone, and you're not bad that you worry, okay? Can we just say that? You're not bad that you worry. We all worry. It makes you human, okay? Stop beating yourself up that you're worried about the future, but just know, Jesus is saying, I got this. Like, take the path with me at your center. I got this. You're going to be okay. Okay? Belief should be moving us then as his people to be people less fearful, less troubled, less anxious, more joyful. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into holy places by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, kind of hinting at the resurrection here, teaching on the resurrection. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so when our life is defined by worry and stress and anxiety, we have to ask that question, whose path am I taking? Like, of course I'm worried when I open up the news and I hear about what's going on. Of course but if my life is defined by this anxiousness and this worry and this troubled spirit, then I'm not totally walking the way of Christ. 
Okay? He's not judging me for my worry, but he's encouraging me. Christ is encouraging us to trust him more than the reality of what we see all around us of danger and worry. Trust him more, but it's hard to believe what we can't see. My family and I have got four kids, 13, 11, a son in heaven uh, who would be nine, a seven-year-old, and then a four-year-old. And we were killing some time uh, recently, and my kids have recently discovered trust falls. Pretty exciting for them. You know, it's like, you know what trust fall is? I'm not going to take volunteers, though I did that this morning. You should be thankful. And, you know, put your arms over, you know, and you close your eyes, and you, you know, you fall back. Have we done trust falls in the room? Okay, one of you. Thank you. And uh, so, you know, we're doing these trust falls, and I'm kind of having some fun with them. Like, all right, you know, and I'd kind of step back, and I'd lean in at the last minute, or I'd see if I'd kind of you know, how far I could let them fall and their mother wasn't around so I didn't have to worry about her getting upset, you know, and I get them down here and I realized something, that the older my kids were, the less that they were able to trust that they would be caught. Now, I've never dropped them, all right, not since they were babies and nobody really knows about that, so we're not talking about that, but no, no, I've never dropped them, but we have this predisposition to trust what we can see. And so, you know, they, they would double check, or if they closed their eyes, they would reach, and then they would fall and kind of do the kickstand. But my youngest son, he's four. Man, he was just, he, he was just a free fall master. I mean, he was a trust fall, just, oh, you ready? Boom, he'd fall back, and I'd catch him, like, down here, his head, you know, just gracing the bottom of the cement. He's fine now. I think he's fine. But no, no, he's totally fine. But he didn't worry the most. Because this four-year-old, and I was thinking about it later as I was preparing this message, he knows every day that he'll be cared for. Because he's literally at that age where if somebody doesn't put him to bed and put food in front of him, he won't survive. So his entire life has been about trusting the provision of his father. And it's very difficult the older we get, and we've been beat up a little bit. Some of us are in the room tonight. We've got some scars. We've got some wounds we got some things that aren't quite right, and it's hard. Like, Jesus, I want to trust you, but I, I don't always see you. And I have a predisposition to trust more of what I see than what I can't see. We don't get a plan for our life. We get a path to take, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the way. And then he transitions here, and he says, I am also the truth. I am the way and the truth of which can govern you. Look here, verses 5 through 9 of chapter 14 of, of John. We're just working our way through this text. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Everyone begs on Thomas. Oh, doubting Thomas. You know, right? Like, he's the only honest one around the room. Like, he's just real. He's just naming it. I don't get it, he says. And notice that every time someone has a question to Christ, he answers their question with a truth claim. Don't be scared of doubts. Don't be scared of questions, but know that your question can be an opportunity to engage in more discipleship if you're, if you're going to Christ with the question. So Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. And then Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that'd be enough. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Christ is encouraging us that he is this truth, 
the truth that can govern our life. I don't know if you saw Time Magazine recently, this question, you know, very scary. Is truth dead? Because we turn on the TV now, and we know truth runs through a filter. Left truth, right truth, you know, Fox truth, CNN truth, our news sources, we know that. So we don't know as a people oftentimes which truth to believe. And Philip says, show us the Father and be enough. And Jesus says, don't you know me? Truth is a person. Truth is a reality of Christ. It's a person. And the question needs to be answered here. People kind of wrestle. Theologians come to this text and they say, well, gosh, the truth claim of Christ here, saying that I am the way and the truth in life, is that an exclusive truth claim or an inclusive truth claim? Is it exclusive, Jesus saying he's the only way, or is it inclusive in that Christ is calling all people to know his truth? And in typical fashion for Christ, the answer is yes. That Jesus is, is radically in- inclusive on who's invited, but exclusive on the ways to reach the Father. Now keep in mind this, and this is really important. This teaching happens to the men that Jesus has discipled for three years. These are his best friends. These are his protégés, and they're getting the pure meat. But when Jesus is out in the street, and there's the man that's born blind, and Jesus you know, d- deals with the woman at the well, when he, when he heals the, you know, the beggar, when, when these things are happening, Jesus isn't dropping truth claims on them. He's meeting their needs, and he is telling them that his truth is transformational, but he heals them first. But as close as friends, Jesus says, I want you to know the absolute truth. I am the only way to the the Father. And we struggle with this. We struggle with truth because we do not want to define others' truth for them. But hear me very carefully, church. Our most compelling truth claims are lived out in the certainty of our own character. Our most compelling truth claims as Christians are lived out in the certainty of our own character. So what does that mean? I want to talk about Syria tonight. I want to talk about Egypt. I want to talk about politics. I want to talk about race. I want to, all these things are very important. But what Christ is calling his closest friends to here on, on the night in which he's going to give up his life is that their life would be defined by a radical trust in his truth. And that happens first. That as the truth takes up residence in them, that then they'll move out into all the world and engage on every issue. But the truth needs to, to live in them and transform their lives first. First Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let them see the truth in you. Let them see God's truth in you. If you're, if you're, you're here this evening, you've been invited, or you're, just, you're kind of like, I don't know where I stand on truth. Well, thank you for your honesty. I know that Jesus can deal with your doubts and your questions. Go to him with them. But for others, like, no, no, I'm, I'm on board. I'm a, yeah, I'm on board. I'm a Jesus' truth person. May the truth live in you. And we get obsessed with you know, these arguments kind of at arm's length about what truth looks like in some facet of our spiritual life. But the reality is it's got to live in us first. Our most compelling truth claims are what lives on in the certainty of our character. And not judging other people. This is what Bonhoeffer says in Cost of Discipleship, this warning about judging other people. Bonhoeffer says, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. Now, our job as Christians is to examine our hearts, 
Is the truth of Christ living in me? Is it changing me? And is it radically exclusive or radically inclusive? The answer is both. Exclusive. There is one way to the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. There's one way. I know we live in a radically inclusive city where oftentimes everything but Christ is cool. You're raising your kids, send them to the Jewish school for enlightenment, or you know, we're doing you know, some Buddhist readings. It's all good. You show up at the party and say, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've been going to church for them. You're like, that's ah, a little archaic. I don't know. But you know, the reality is it's exclusive. There's one way to the Father, Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures say. It's what Jesus says. But it's inclusive in that only Jesus gets to do the inviting. And he wants everyone in the world to know. He wants everybody in the world to come to saving faith. And so we get to be the inviters. We get to be the, hey, you can belong before you believers. And hey, we get to be the people who say, you have doubts, come on in and hear more about Jesus because we're not scared of the truth. We've got truth on our side. We don't need to argue, but we do need to continue to live out the truth that Jesus lives in us. And if we take care of that, then that truth will be transformational to all the relationships that we encounter. And Thomas's doubt here is very palpable. But as I said earlier, his doubt opens the door for Jesus' greatest truth claims. Don't be scared of the question, but be on a bit of a crusade of seeking truth in your own life, your own heart. Earlier this week, we had uh, the founder of Agra, Skip Lee, came and spoke to the Bethany staff. And he talked about the importance of truth and about how as a society we've let go of a little bit. But as an example, he talked about the, the space shuttle Challenger, the disaster in 1986. And many of you are too young to remember. I was in elementary school. I remember gathering around a bunch of elementary school kids. We watched the shuttle go up and then we watched it explode. It was traumatic to say the least. And when they researched, you know, what went wrong at NASA, who made the huge cataclysmic mistake of which, you know, our shining example of success, our space program, uh, could have such a disaster in the, in the late 80s, they found it wasn't one horrible disaster, though there was an accident, but there wasn't one horrible mistake that was made, but rather a pattern uh, of mistakes, and there had been this normalization of deviance, the researcher called it. Normalization of deviance. The posits that disasters cannot always be blamed on a single catastrophic decision by a leader. Instead, they often occur because people inside institutions or churches or schools or families or marriages or dating relationships start to make numerous small decisions that stealthily change their concept of normality or of truth. With NASA, what happened was mid-level engineers had repeatedly breached safety guidelines in tiny ways, but no alarm was sounded. They just slowly started to drift. They slowly started to get away from their, from their core discipline of having right answers and exact answers. And so the engineer's definition of what was acceptable quietly changed standard slip until the Challenger crashed and ripped their complacency apart. The author of this article about this NASA disaster says, sometimes a small crack can dramatically widen when people least expect it and cause the whole structure to collapse. That's the story of the scriptures. It's just an apple. God isn't really gonna mind. Just take and eat. Oh, just a woman down there bathing beneath you, King David, and you've done a lot of good things for, for God. Just take whatever desires you have. 
and on and on and on. The danger when we move away from truth defining us is that we start to accommodate small deviations. Christ calls us, he's calling us this evening to do some accounting of our own life. Is the truth of Christ changing us? Is he lording over us in our sexual decisions, in our financial decisions, in our vocational decisions? Are we under the lordship of Christ? Are we under his influence? This is what Skip talked to our staff. He said, always tell the truth. He's a lawyer, as well as the founder of Agros. And he says, for us as lawyers, the truth is required And if I lie, I'll be disbarred. Truth must be black and white. And so do not be disbarred from your life. Tell the truth. So is it exclusive or inclusive? That's an exclusive way to to God. It's Jesus Christ. And inclusive because everybody needs inviting. As my Bible teacher in college, Dale Bruner, says, it's not true that all roads lead to the top of the mountain. There are roads which lead over the precipice. Not all roads are equal, and there's great danger in our liberality. I know many of us were raised in a more conservative context where we we say, no, there's a freedom in Christ, and there is. But there's also a death in liberality that says we start to deviate from what truth looks like in in our lives, in our discipleship moments. For those of you who know what Bethany's story is, we started a coffee shop up in Bethany North, up on Aurora in a former strip club right next to a methadone clinic. It's called One Cup Coffee and the Bethany North team offices behind it. And every single day, we do life with addicts. And some of you here this evening might be addicted to heroin or methadone, and I'm glad you're here. You know more than the rest of us how dangerous the addiction is. And you talk to friends on the street They don't talk about the freedom of their choice to use drugs. They talk about slavery. Or friends of mine stuck in the slavery of pornography. It's not some, you know, liberal decision to just free their minds. They're enslaved now. They're fighting for their freedom back. How do we get it back? We believe that Christ is truth, and we're constantly both preaching him as an exclusive way to God and trying to be inclusive in both inviting other people into that saving relationship and looking inside our own hearts. God, what do I need to do to be a person more of truth? I was a high school English teacher some years ago back in Los Angeles, and about this time of year, all the juniors and seniors were just checked out and just fried. And it was always this time of year that I introduced one of my favorite texts to teach, Catcher in the Rye. Because Catcher in the Rye, many of you read it, but if you get it, it's, it's just kind of this, this rambling prose about a young man looking for a plan. But what he discovered was that he needed purpose. Because oftentimes, though we long, we long for, for a plan, it's purpose that we hunger for. If we have purpose, we can withstand when the plan changes. If we have purpose for our life, we believe that God is doing something in us and through us. And so the, the, the protagonist in Catching the Eye, Holden Caulfield, he finds a purpose in his relationship with his little sister. And in it, he tells this fable of saying, I've discovered I want to be the catcher in the rye. The catcher in the rye, and it's this old fable from the south where the catcher in the rye would stand in a field of rye as little children are getting ready to run off the precipice. And so there's a beautiful piece of the book where Holden says, I just want to run around and just catching kids before they fall off. The catcher in the rye, he gets his purpose, knowing that because of the truth of what he's experienced, he wants the other children to be saved from their death experiences. If the truth lived in us, church, we would be telling everybody we know 
not to go over the edge. That Jesus is radically for them, that their doubts are not just leaving them at the door and inviting all people to the cross so that we can know this exclusive truth claim that Jesus wants to be our catcher in the rye. Let's look at the final point of our outline. Jesus says, I am the life. I am the very life that you need to live. This is John 14. I'm going 9b to the end of the passage at 14. The end, Jesus says, can you say, show us the Father, verse 10 of John 14. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me, the life that we crave for, Jesus says, is doing his work in me. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves because church, the works matter. Like the works of our life matter a great deal. And our greatest witness to our culture is the truth of Christ changing us and giving us the life that this city needs so desperately. Verse 12 of John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Greater things, greater things. He says, I am the life. And he's not talking about bios life that dies. He's talking about a zoe life, this deep eternal sense of real life. Or as Paul would say in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Or as Jesus himself said in John 10, 10, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. We have a hunger for life, for Zoe, for life for great vacations and a great social media feed and healthy relationships and a career and a future. We all, that's what makes us human. We hunger for life. We're not alone in that. And Jesus says, the very death that you hunger for, if you open up your hands, I long to place myself inside your hands. You long for a, a, a plan, Jesus says, I will be the life that you need. This is the reality that we won't understand all of Christ's life until this week we mourn his death and resurrection. The real life, real Christian life, it's on the far side of the grave. It's on the far side of death. And so if we want real life, we need to get to grips with Christ's death. And the reality that as Christians, Christ is calling pieces of us to also die. And I know that's a tough word, but there's pieces of us that need to die so that Christ can live in us. I do premarital counseling for the weddings that I perform. And I sit with, you know, newlyweds and I'm like, do you love each other? We do, you know, and it's sweet and giddy. And I feel like Debbie Downer on the couch because I'm like, it's going to be hard, you know. And like, I know it was so hard to pick the kind of cake we want. You know, we went to three different bakers. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like you've met with a baker and you've met with a photographer, but you don't know that love is very difficult at times. And if you want to know what love looks like, cancel the photography appointment and go down to hospice and watch people in the very end of their lives that are loving each other well in the midst of horrible illness. Because though we long for life, it's often with understanding that the love that we want happens on the far side of death. Most beautiful picture 
is one where people love each other still even despite the great illnesses they suffer and love Christ despite the life that doesn't turn out perfectly. Jesus says, if you believe in me, we shall do greater things, greater things. My Bible professor, Dale Bruner, who's now an expert on Matthew and John, he says this, kind of tongue-in-cheek, he says, this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus is wrong. Like, we read that, like, that's impossible. We will do greater things than Christ Jesus. How is that possible? Jesus says, because I'm not giving you the plan, I'm giving you the path with me and you. And that's how 2,000 years ago, a hundred or so ragtag people could take this truth claim of Jesus being the way and the truth and the life and take it to the very ends of the earth. Jesus says, open up your hands and know that I want to do great things in you, through you. I want my way and my truth and my life to live in you so that you are lit up in the city of Seattle. And people see you and say, that's truth. That's love. That's life. I want that. We become the evangelists of encouraging other people to seek the life of Christ. The greater things is the way that Christ lives in us, moving us to be people with less troubled hearts, marked by this radical belief that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life, despite any struggles that we might face. It was spring break for my kids this week, and so I've got a big group of them. We went out to Orcas Island for a night, and one night we left their mom in the hotel. She wasn't feeling good, and they said, we want to ride bikes to town. I've got a seven-year-old that barely can ride, and a kid on the trailer bike behind him, just, I look like that guy, you know, just like dork guy riding bikes, and, and the road to town's a little dangerous, actually. We're outside of town about four miles. I said, you want to ride? I said, we want to ride. So we head out away from the hotel, and it's like literally almost a mile, pretty, pretty steady incline. And we get halfway up, my kids are just falling apart, falling apart, and I said, this is the road you wanted to take. And they said, we didn't know it was going to be so hard. That's when I get to play the, do- the dad card. Life is hard sometimes, kids. It's not all downhill rides, you know, and they're like, just, you know, and we get to the top of the road, and I said, when we get there, it's going to be better, it'll be smoother, it'll be more up and down. Do you want to continue? We do, they said, we get to the top of the road, and it's, you know, my my oldest, and then my my poor rider, I put right on her, she's seven, I put her right on her big sister's uh, tail, and then then my son behind her, and then I'm going behind, and it's, it's kind of this curvy, windy road, and we're now getting, you know, a look at the ocean, And there's these big downhills now, and there's some laughter. We're now three miles from town. We're going to make it, I said. We're now two miles from town. We get to the edge of town. We're a mile away, and we can see the steeple of the church in town. We literally can. And I said, do you want to turn back now? Like, no way. No way do we want to turn back. Because they were feeling the joy of the journey. And they finally had a view of where we were going. And we get to town, and they're high-fiving. We get to this bakery, and they're like, you know, it wasn't that hard, you know, and I was laughing. And they didn't know. Like, they were up ahead of me. They didn't know that I was riding behind, and I would, every time a car, a big truck would come, I'd just pull my bike out into the lane a little bit, and I'd just tell them, hey, slow down. I've got two or three more up further. Slow down. And then they would pass, and I would give them a wave. Every single vehicle, I made sure they knew. My kids are up there. Nobody was going to get to them. 
And friends, though we walk the road of life often feeling alone, I want to encourage you this evening, you have a Father God who's with you and in front of you or behind you making sure that nothing will happen. And though we long for this well-ordered plan for our lives, we're not going to get the plan. We have a path to take. She says, I've got this. Have untroubled hearts and may your life be marked with joy and hope that the way and the truth and the life of the person of Christ is transforming you to be people of radical hope for this city. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your words of scripture to open us up this evening. And we thank you for the night to gather and, and be reminded. And now, Father, as we turn towards communion, we pray that you would be the very sustenance we need for this journey, that you would be the way for us, you would be the truth for us, that you would be the life for us. Jesus, thank you for what you did for us and in inviting us all into the exclusive truth in an inclusive way. Lord, you, you paid it all. We're here this evening simply receiving and saying that we want untroubled hearts, that our lives would be looked like people of hope in a city that needs your good news. In your great name we pray, amen. It's communion response Sunday as every Sunday is here in the evening. And I love that, that you guys do that every single week. I love that. The night of which he was betrayed, Jesus took his body, took his bread and he broke and he said, this is my body. And he lifted the cup and he said, this is the new, new covenant poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. And then he made sure that all of his friends were served. And he made sure that everybody that he loved was provided for. And what he didn't say, but he had just said it before, I am the way and the truth and the life. When you take and eat this, receive that. We have gluten-free crackers in blue bins and regular gluten for the rest of us heathens here in the uh, tan cloths. And we'll move counterclockwise. Doing that right? Yeah. This is a chance for you to open your heart to the way, the truth, the life. Untroubled, this table is now open. Take and eat. Let's stand as we continue in song. <laughs>